0: yourself. I got an interesting
2: email from a woman who asked, Carol, is sex addiction really real? And I said, of course it's real. Um, but she had been listening to David Lay, L-E-Y, who says that there is no such thing as sex addiction. And that anybody who works with sex addicts have made up that definition so that they can make money. Well, I'm here to tell you that is not true. And uh, I have an expert uh, who's coming on the show and she is also going to be sharing her experience. She has worked for the Meadows and really has done a great job of helping people with addictions all over the world. And the truth of the matter is Um, When somebody has sexual addiction, it's very compulsive, and they need a whole host of tools and resources to make them feel better. So we're going to be talking about that today. If you're a sex addict or if you love a sex addict and you want to get more information about how and where do you get help, this is the show for you. So I want to... um, I want to invite Megan McKay on the show. She, she has a whole genre of information about this field and the resources available. And so, Megan, welcome to the show. Thank, thank you. Girl. Thank you. you. Absolutely. I'm really excited to have you. And, you know, I feel like Gentle Path in the Meadows are two premier organizations, and to know that you have worked with them and for them um, says that you, you've worked with the best. And so I knew you would be an excellent resource in terms of um, understanding trauma and sex addiction and partner betrayal. And so I want to ask you, do you see Are most of the people that you work with do they have trauma?
1: My coworkers are, I'm sorry, you're referring to, the, to who we see for patients. Yes. Um, there is a research study Dr. Patrick Carn conducted which pointed to 81% of those who suffer from sex addiction have had a, some sort of trauma within their past. Mm-hmm.
2: And we all know Dr. Patrick Carnes is the guru of sex addiction. Uh, He has trained, gosh, I want to say 1,600, 2,000 certified sexual addiction therapists. So he did this research, and you said 80% of the addicts that he worked with had trauma. Yes. Okay. And so I got to ask you, how would a person know if they had trauma?
1: And that's an excellent question. Most of the time we get individuals in our program who will say, I've never had trauma. Certainly uh, my life isn't as bad as this guy is. And we will do a lot of comparing. Mm -hmm. And for our educative lectures, which is based on the model that the develops, they will discover that, yes, in fact. There was some sort of trauma within their lifetime. Um, her most broad definition of trauma is considered anything with less than nurturing within an individual's developmental years, mm-hmm. which is between zero and 17 years old. Um, more specifically, her books delve into defining trauma as um, enmeshment or neglect um, and abandonment. And it's mistreatment of the the child within uh, the realms of intellectual abuse, spiritual abuse, um, Mm -hmm. physical abuse, sexual abuse. And so we do a lot of educating, Mm -hmm. essentially, on what abuse looks like. And, and how it affects an individual um, because your, your caregivers, your primary caregivers are those who you have a relationship with first in your life and that of which you learn how to relate to others, and that gets carried over into an individual adult life um, and is also um, the basis for what becomes like codependency disorders. Um, And if an individual is brought up in such a manner that they learn to be relational in in ways where they either let people impede on their boundaries or they learn that it's okay to impede on the boundaries of others. Mm -hmm. then they form a lot of dysfunctional relationships.
2: Um, Well, you know, you're talking about people that develop trauma, early on, and again, you said that was between the ages of what, 18? Zero and
1: 17, as she refers to developmental trauma, but trauma certainly isn't limited to those years. That's just for uh, childhood trauma, the impact of, of that.
2: Okay. And so, you know, we know there's the big T traumas, and there are the little T traumas, and... You know, what you were referencing is that many, many times people that experience trauma did not get their needs met from their primary caregivers, more than likely their parents, their grandparents, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, how would you describe little p traumas and how would you describe big p traumas? The little p traumas are those are chronic
1: everyday traumas that occur in... Build up to have a significant impact on the child. I've heard it described a lot as uh, a thousand cuts. Mm And then big T traumas are more major events. Um, It can include natural disasters, sex assaults such as rape, um, getting mugged, robbery, large in a possible car accident, or even vicariously hearing about the death or serious injury of a loved one.
2: You know, it's interesting that you would say that because you and I both have worked with partners for a long time, and when partners get new information about their husband or wife's acting out, we'll just say their husbands to make it simple, they say, feel like I am being mutilated by a thousand um, paper cuts. You know, Mm -hmm. it it may be a sentence here or a sentence there, but truly that affects their sense of reality and they feel traumatized by it. And um, so when you said little teeth, traumas can be just those little things that take down somebody's self-esteem or their sense of reality. That indeed is a little trauma. Now, Mm -hmm. I got to ask you, because Dr. Karn said, neglect from your primary caregivers can be worse than abuse, because nobody (laughs) acknowledges it. Nobody um, finds resources for you. You're, You're kind of out there all on your own. When you work at the Meadows, how do you work with people that have severe addictions and or partner trauma and what do you do for those people? And that's an excellent question.
1: Um, I first wanted to acknowledge that that partner trauma Mm -hmm. certainly is it's considered by Dr. Carnes, Dr. Stephanie Carnes who has done more work on that to be um, very close to or uh, equal to PTSD. And so that the chronic prolonged stressful, stressful events that accumulate over time, that's the definition I, I really like for those double T trauma, mm-hmm. um, is uh, in line with what they experience in that uh, verbal emotional abuse, um, loss of significant relationship, um, and that distorted sense of reality they get put mm-hmm. into
2: well, yeah, you know, one of the things that I know about partner trauma is that it affects men and women on cellular levels. And literally, when discovery has occurred and when there's additional discovery after additional discovery, this, there's a cellular change that occurs called kindling, and that's like a frazzled rope. It gets It gets more and more and more fragmented. And as that happens on a cellular level, um, it becomes um, it becomes a situation where it provokes itself because now it's a very weak cell and things that are abusive or neglectful are more damaging to it because it's not a strong cell anymore. And you and I both um, know a lot about Thistle Van der work. I mean, he's actually a fellow at the Meadows, is he not? Correct. Yes, he is. And he says the body does keep score even if we don't want to believe that or we repress our emotions or we, you know, um, minimize what's going on for us. The body knows. The body knows when we don't. And so... You really um, understand trauma from some of the greats, and there's something called this bagel, polybagel, um, issue. And I thought maybe because you explain that, because people don't understand what the polybagel theory is. Absolutely.
1: So, and and this also will kind of answer that question, like how do we help individuals? Heal or begin the healing process mm-hmm. of, of addressing and um, getting through that trauma. We first help them to identify it through a lot of psychoeducation, mm-hmm. and to get connected back with their body, and 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 know what their. The state of being is because all too often um, it is so disconnected. If you ask an individual how they're feeling, they'll tell you intellectually, or they won't even know at all how to identify that. Um, and so I'll have to say, no, really, where do you feel within in your body? Like it, it will be apparent with um, a flush feeling or. Uh, headiness heaviness in the chest or, like, a turning in the gut. And so that actually points to um, Stephen Porges' polyvagal theory in, in which he postulates that there's a, a, a very, um, there's a connection in which the vagus nerve is directly affected and, Kind of thrown out of alignment when when um, trauma occurs, the um, the nervous system goes into a state of of shifted a shifted arousal state, in which it gets stuck on hyper arousal and hypo and so the individual is essentially thrown off balance, and their nervous system is always stuck on mm-hmm. or until it crashes or it's completely outside of the window of tolerance, essentially. Um, and he focuses on the impact that trauma has and how it affects the nervous system and how our uh, facial muscles are intertwined with that. And it travels. They call it it's the wandering nerve, and it travels all the way down to the gut, and innervates the lungs and the heart. And so it's... Um, a very basic theory. Mm-hmm. However, it, it can explain a lot um, in how an individual reacts. And so knowing that, when we get those who are in the um, super aroused state, in, in the hyper aroused state, they're so um, stuck on that they can't even sit down in a chair. Um, they're always in the fight or flight mode or, or
2: freeze.
1: Uh-huh. And when you're in that state, you, you can't pay attention or trust or have the foundational skills to do what is necessary for therapy to even begin. Um, and so we tie that knowledge in with a technique that um, he patented uh, called the Safe and Sound Protocol for those individuals who are unable to even engage in therapy to help bring them back down to that level of, um, that that window of tolerance. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a, it's a sound listening protocol that is also used a lot with autistic individuals.
2: So what is that technique called? A Safe safe and sound protocol. Safe and sound protocol. And um, can you tell us a little bit about that? Absolutely. It is
1: has to do with the inner ear muscles Mm -hmm. in which when an individual is stuck in that fight or flight mode, their facial muscles are geared in a way to detect the um, high pitch and very low pitch sounds that cue an individual for a threat. Um, And so you can be sitting next to them, literally, and talking, but they won't be able to process what you're saying because the, the inner ear muscles are unable to tune into the vocal
2: frequencies. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you know, so, and, oh, go ahead. Thanks. I was going to say, does that have anything to do with alexithymia? Because it, you know, alexithymia is when People who are under great trauma and stress can't speak. They can't think of the words. Some, some of them have what they call speechless terror. And I wonder if there's any connection between that, um, the ears and their voice. That's a good question. I would postulate that has them more
1: with their, their defensive state that they're put in. I think that sounds like a free state. Um, I don't know that I can answer that, but it sounds like a, a free state in which authorizes a polyvagal theory's um, reaction to the sense of uh, danger or life threat. Mm-hmm.
2: You know, um, Dr. Carnes also said, I remember in my training, um, you're a CSAT, and, and you were trained how long ago? I am a candidate,
1: and currently um, am still within that training it's
2: going to be finished very soon. Good. Well, the reason I asked is because in 2007, he was telling us that we were going to have to be brain scientists um, to work with our sex addicts that so much of what we do with addicts and partners really does have to do with the brain. It does Mm -hmm. have to do with the body. I mean, I just was uh, at a somatic experiencing conference, and they said, if you're going to do a disclosure with a partner, have some mints available, because they need to get their digestive system going as they're being traumatized by the information they may be hearing from the addict. Mm -hmm. And so here you are talking polyvagal, and, and I know for anybody who's listening that is not aware of much of this stuff. This may be the first time you're hearing it. And it may feel overwhelming, but it really helps explain what's going on inside of the body. Um, I can't remember the research that talks about partners and the amount of uh, trauma, but I think it's 87% of all partners have been through um, previous experiences of trauma, making them candidates for a complex post-traumatic stress right um, so obviously you're working with some of the best you're utilizing some of the best techniques in the world let me ask you something you heard me say earlier that I had gotten an email from a woman who wanted to know was sex addiction real mm-hmm. and um and there are people that don't believe in sex addiction. And certainly when I talk to some partners, they go back and forth. They, they say, I want to believe this thing because I want to believe that he or she didn't know how to stop it and it was unstoppable until they learned the tools. Right. Do you think sex addiction is real? i I first would like to say
1: everybody obviously is entitled to their opinion, uh-huh and from my experience and from the knowledge that I have uh, just from science literature alone i I believe it is in line with all of the other process addictions in which we have so much information about with food addiction and and gambling uh-huh. um, and the fact that sex is a behavior that is necessary for, for the creation of uh, our species and that it, there's a dopamine hit that occurs every time someone engages in an act um, and, and, and orgasm um, the same amount that occurs in food uh, addiction and all the, the behaviors that uh, a human engages in that promotes survival of our species. I, I am a believer that sex addiction is is a real struggle, and it is a process addiction.
2: Well, and let's face it, that word addiction, there's a lot of people that have trouble believing that it could possibly be an addiction because they don't go through detox when they get treatment, and yet you and I know that they do go through detox. It's a different type of detox, but it has some of the same similarities of a drug mm-hmm. or alcohol addiction. Um, so let me ask, do you believe that it, sex addiction numbs the pain and the trauma, the abuse and the neglect? Do you think that it's a coping skill that men and women developed early to begin to numb out and cope with their pain?
1: Absolutely. It also fulfills a lot of other needs, too.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a
1: false method to gain confidence and self-esteem. The the need to be needed. um, A a false sense of love. Mm -hmm. uh, A way to feel better or feel valid in life. A lot of times it'll make up for that which the individual
2: didn't get within the earlier relationship within childhood. Mm -hmm. That makes a lot of sense. Um, So obviously was it 2018 that we decided, uh, well the World Health Organization decided that compulsive sexuality really was problematic. And although they were not going to call it sex addiction, um, they did come up with a term that was diagnosable, and that was a big deal, that it was diagnosable. Can you tell mm-hmm. us about those findings and what the World Health Organization believes to be true? From what I'm aware of with the
1: work that Dr. Carnes has done in order to get it put into um, the DSM and um, have it become a diagnosable condition is uh, that there's a lot of debate about uh, the addiction being in um, behavior or just an offset of other types of disorders. And so while that debate continues, mm-hmm. they also have cited many times there's not enough research to,
2: to make a diagnosable condition. And so it is uh, considered more compulsive behavior uh, right now. Got it. And so um, now when people come into our office and they talk about not being able to, to stop their sexual behavior and they've tried hundreds and thousands of times to no avail or only for a short period of time, Mm-hmm. Or when um people admit that there's time distortion, they get online to look at porn for fifteen or twenty minutes and eight hours later they find out they're still looking at pornography and obviously it has now interfered with their sleep or it has now interfered with their job. The, the average amount the average time that somebody looks at pornography is really between the hours of nine and five PM during the work. Um, So when there's time distortion and there's inability to stop and it's interfering with relationships and it's causing harm, um, those are all diagnostic criteria that says this person could have problematic, uh, compulsive problematic sexual behavior. Um, Now the Meadows offers programming for that. Do they treat, in addition to what General Path would do, which is an off-site center specifically for sex addiction? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Do we treat porn addiction? hmm Is that the question in here? Yes. Does the, does the Meadows treat pornography addiction?
1: Yes, we do have our program, actually, um, with the General Path, and I believe most certainly that it's an addiction as well. hmm So... Um, and that that's kind of the key uh, determination of an individual's um, problem as well and how much it is considered a a disorder versus like a use disorder versus an actual addiction is the level of distress and the uncontrollability.
2: Mm -hmm. That makes a lot of sense. You know, oftentimes when I'm talking to partners, they will say things like, well, I wish my husband just had had a porn addiction. That would have been very easy to deal with. But the truth of the matter is, it's somewhat like molestation. We know that when a child is molested, sexual intercourse may not be any worse than having your breast fondled or digital penetration or other types of molestation. And so... Mm-hmm. I find that to be the same with sex addiction, that it's difficult for a partner um, whose husband has had multiple affairs or whose husband has been seeking uh, sex trafficking, sex workers or um, escort services or prostitution. Um, And that pornography can be just as devastating to some women that feel that they're their relationship has been violated, their marriage has been violated, and their safety has been violated. How how often do you work with partners? I myself vote in between the um, women's
1: and men's campus. I work mostly with the uh, the male population, and I have worked with women, but not as frequently. Probably
0: every...
2: I would say week out of a month. Okay. So, what do you tell sex addicts when they're in treatment, and you know they're reeling from their choices and their decisions, and they they're coming out of the fog, and they realize that um, they are unable. To make things better with their wives, their wives are devastated, and they don't know what to do to redevelop that trust. What do you what do you say to them? Well, we first educate them about the process that
1: their partners are going through and what that looks like with the betrayal trauma, mm-hmm. and which seeking safety um, and ultimately in incorporation with. That traumatic uh, stress reactions um, to help them understand and develop empathy because I think that's the biggest uh, obstacle that gets in the way between the understanding between the partners. Mm. Um, we, we do a lot of psychoeducation and empathy building with um, the, the addicts themselves. Okay.
2: Do you ever use my book, Help Her Heal? An empathy workbook for sex addicts to help their partners heal? That's a really good question, and I believe it is um,
1: um, in our women's health
2: library. Aw. Um, because clearly I maintain that men are double traumatized. They obviously are dealing with their own trauma, of what may have happened in their past and what is happening right now, right then for them because they may have lost their job and that's why they're coming to the Meadows or to Gentle Path. They may have, uh, their wife may be asking for a divorce. They may have been arrested. I mean, there's so many psychosocial stressors that can occur that come out of sex addiction. But I say double traumatized uh, because once they come out of that thought, they do see the damage that they've done relationally. And they're wondering what they were thinking. They're wondering how they could have been so blind. They're wondering how they could have been in so much denial. Do you see that same kind of thing, too? Yeah,
1: absolutely. And it's, it's just as devastating as the impact of um, all the other addictions. And it, it explains... Um, So that the neurochemistry of addiction itself and how it it hijacks the parts of the brain that are involved in rational type thinking, Mm -hmm. Um, I think it is uh, on the same level as what I've seen with individuals who have the incest abusers coming um, Mm -hmm. out of their addictions into... Um, new sobriety, yeah, they are definitely, I mean, I I see post-acute withdrawal syndrome occur within um, sex addicts, it's devastating.
2: Okay. And so, you know, obviously we help them to rebuild trust by maintaining good recovery, and that means they have to have a whole host of resources available to them, Mm 12-step meetings, maybe every man's battle. Uh, they need accountability buddies. They need to meditate and journal and pray. All of those things. What do they need to do relationally in addition to help their partners heal? Have that empathy.
1: Learn how to communicate in a manner which is healthy, which will not raise the defenses of the other individual. Um, So using appropriately talking and listening boundaries, um, a new way of communicating that is authentic Mm -hmm. and accessible as well, um, as well as respectful, and that's really the biggest part also.
2: Yes, I've been really excited that Dr. Carnes, Dr. Stephanie Carnes, has, taken the Partner Betrayal Program further. I mean, in 2007, it was just an adjunct. And now it is absolutely a complimentary service um, to help men understand the devastation they've caused and to help women understand that it's possible to rebuild that trust. It's possible to reconnect with with their husbands or their wives, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, do you find many partners saying, will I ever be able to trust again? Yeah,
1: absolutely. There's a lot of fear. A lot of fear and a lot of pain behind that. And while there's no easy answer, and no one can really answer that for them. Mm-hmm. There have been thousands of successful couples who have been able to rebuild their relationships, and while every process is different, mm-hmm. and it definitely takes time it does not happen overnight to get those individuals into in the treatment, the addiction takes a lot of time, um, as well as recovery does, too. It, it's basically learning a whole new
2: way to live it is like any recovery program but especially it's um there has to be very comprehensive because he's working on his own individual recovery and then he's working on the relational recovery as well um mm-hmm. and and i find well actually did you know that i'm starting an early recovery couples empathy model for clinicians and coaches to help you know their couples heal. Nice.
1: Yeah. That is such an important part. Yeah,
2: that empathy thing. Oh, a hundred percent. Although it it comes from the basis of help or heal, it's actually coming from a new book that I'm writing called Help Them Heal, and it talks about the three stages of partner betrayal: uh, safety and stabilization, and then grief, mourning, loss, and anger and then post-traumatic growth. And we want our couples to get to post-traumatic growth. So to hear you say you've seen thousands of couples heal, you know that there's lots of healing that can occur, and they never have the same marriage they had before, but they Mm -hmm. can have a new and um, enjoyable and satisfying marriage um, once he's in recovery, And, and typically so is she. You know, they have that commonality between the two of them. They don't have to,
0: but mm-hmm. oftentimes
2: they do. So I was wondering, you know, obviously you're in this premier organization, and I, we highly recommend Meadows. Um, can people actually call in, have an intake, and be seen themselves, or does their therapist have to refer them? Both can refer. Okay. And then, do you take insurance? We can never
1: guarantee. Okay. We always do attempt to bill for insurance as a as a service that we offer. But um, I would say that that question is probably the best left for our um, our billing
2: department. Mm -hmm. Well, and certainly many of the clients that I've referred, there is a portion that's um, paid by insurance. But I get that every insurance company is different. So it's not how the Meadows feels. It's what the insurance company is willing to do. Um, And so being an expert, and working with some of the top people in the world, you are so lucky. Mm -hmm. Um, Can you make some book recommendations for uh, partners, for addicts, in working on their relational connection?
1: You know, I also wanted to add, um, there are specific companies we are contracted with for insurance. I just don't know what those are Uh um, off the top of my head. And also, we are a Tricare provider as well, um, mm-hmm. and so that's one of my passions is helping those who are in the service. I think all the the help we can get um, ha- help them have a happy, healthy life. Mm-hmm. Um, especially when trauma is such a big part of that story, um, is it's something I am passionate about doing myself. So, um, but yeah, for. I have a whole list here for book recommendations. I mean, I can't Oh, come
2: out. on. Go ahead and list some of them.
1: So um, just basic education. I always recommend. And um, we give these books out uh, uh, of Tom and is The Facing Codependency and The Facing Love Addiction by Pam Melody, which explains relationally what it, uh, occurs when developmental trauma happens. And she also describes her theory in depth. Okay. Um, from the Body Keeps the Score by Bessel Vanderkox, um, as well as the polyvagal theory uh, by Dr. Stephen Forges. Uh, that Zena might be an easier read on polyvagal theory. She has more of a clinical application. And I think that um, I would recommend her books for individuals, like the everyday reading um, type book, it would be a lot better to, to look up and understand polyvagal theory.
2: And what is her name again? Deb Dana. Okay, spell that for our listening audience. Uh, sure, it's D-E-B-D-A-N-A. D-A-N-A, Deb Dana. Got it, it got it.
1: Dana, for talks a lot like a researcher and a doctor, and so it's a lot of technical language. Okay. Dana smooths it out, makes it understandable. Got it. Um Alice, Sandra, how does... Caucus has a, an excellent book in New York Intimacy, which we often recommend. That, um, explaining uh, what females uh, experience and um, what intimacy difficulties and how to recover what that looks like. Um, Dr. Patrick Karnes has uh, his book The Betrayal Bond and our toxic Relationship and Brian Howitts.
2: I'm reading it right now because I'm going to attend his workshop, uh, at the uh, end of October. Oh, nice. Especially yeah, in October.
1: That's my favorite.
2: Okay. And it's actually written for the patient, which I was very surprised about. It's a little clinical. It's a little dry. But if you think you've been bonded out of your own traumas, it's a really good read. And Dr. Carnes talks about his own life and how. That had happened to him too, so I like the personalization there.
1: Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely, and I think he's completely on point in his um, connections mm-hmm. uh, with those types of relational patterns. But it's so hard to let
2: go. Oh yeah. Okay, and then I also know that you always recommend one of my favorite workbooks, which is um, Out of the Sh- No Facing the Shadows which is the workbook to Out of the Shadows, also written by Dr. Carnes. Yes, we work with um, our patients are directly out of that workbook
1: with the assignments and everything. So it goes into a lot of it, in-depth work on the personal issues that they struggle with, mm-hmm. with their addiction. Mm-hmm.
2: And so as we begin to wrap up, obviously, um, you do work for a premier facility, and I would recommend anybody to look at the Meadows, and that's it's spelled like it sounds. It's M E A D O W S. You have listed for me a whole um, whole grouping of resources, a lot of twelve step resources. So I'll make sure to put that in uh, the notes so that people can look for that. Anything you want to add? Before we wrap up for today's show,
1: yeah, absolutely. I'm happy to answer questions anytime regarding those resources. There are a lot of uh, support networks, software partners, as well as addicts themselves. And they fit um, different varieties of preferences of lifestyles. And so I have that list uh, together. Healing is possible. Resiliency is possible to um, start building at any age, no matter who you are or what you do. Um, Healing together is possible. Um, Having that education and understanding truly what's going on, I think is the biggest part of that. Mm -hmm. Recovery happens in groups, too. I, I, I see too often the fear of reaching out and talking about it, and that's my biggest thing is I want to break that stigma
2: mm-hmm. because what, that'll keep people sick. Well, you're, we're listening to Megan. Is Megan is it Mac or Mac Okay, we're listening to um, Megan McKay, and she works at the Meadows. And so, what is your website if somebody wants more information or resources? Um, it is Interstate
1: Healing and Recovery dot com. But it's not interstate. Um, it's
2: inner, like uh, I N N E R with an ER I love that. And again, Megan works at the premier facility, but she is an amazing resource person. I mean, she has been trained in several trauma treatments, um, EMDR, which we all know is eye movement desensitization reprocessing, and that safe and sound protocol. Uh, DBT, which helps to decrease reactivity. Um, She's a certified sex addiction therapist candidate. Uh, She does PIT, which is Pia Melody's work um, and is trained in that. Uh, And she's a master's level clinician from Capella University and has made it her mission uh, to give back to partners and sex addicts to help them heal. So Megan, thank you so much from the bottom of my heart for coming on the show and disseminating all this good information. Thank you, Carol. I deeply am honored by the opportunity. Oh, Well, we will talk soon. Good to talk with you face-to-face here. Same. All right. All right. You too. And so Megan has an amazing ability to make people feel safe, and that's what counts, making people feel safe. Again, that's Megan McKay, M-A-C-K-A-Y. And um, thanks for joining us today. I know we're on a different time, and many of you probably don't even know it because you just listen when you can. But I'm on vacation. I'm in Florida. I'm with my mother-in-law
1: and her friends.
2: So I'm just trying to get it all in. And you know what I say at the end of every show. There will only be one of you at all times fearlessly have the courage to be yourself. We'll see you next week for more sex help with Carol the Coach.